long ago, when the goddess Nuwa was repairing the sky. She melted down a great quantity of rock into 36,501 large building blocks. One single block was left unused. It lay at the foot of Green Sickness Peak and possessed magic powers. It could grow or shrink to any size it wanted. Later, a Buddhist monk and a Taoist priest brought this stone into the world of mortals, where, in time, it grew into one of the undisputed classics of Chinese literature, the story of the stone, also known as a dream of red mansions. That laid aside stone stands for both the protagonist of the novel, Jia Baoyu, and the author himself, Cao Shui Qin. Early in the story of the stone, known as A Dream of Red Mansions, Lin Dayu has just arrived at the Jia household to meet Grandma Jia, her elders and cousins, when suddenly she notices something. Someone could be heard talking and laughing in a very loud voice in the inner courtyard behind them. Oh dear, I'm late, said the voice. I've missed the arrival of our guest. Dayu thought, who can this new arrival be who is so brash and unmannerly? Even as she wandered, a beautiful young woman entered from the room behind the one they were sitting in, surrounded by a bevy of serving women and maids. She was dressed quite differently from the others present, gleaming like some fairy princess with sparkling jewels and gay embroideries. She had, moreover, eyes like a painted phoenix, eyebrows like willow eaves, a slender form, seductive grace, the ever-smiling summer face of hidden thunders showed no trace. The ever-bubbling laughter started almost before the lips were parted. You don't know her, said Grandma Jar merrily. She's a holy terror, this one. What we used to call in Nanjing, a peppercorn. You just call her Peppercorn Fung. Lin Dayu Jin Jia Fu. This is the 人未见圣仙圣仙文好了王熙凤出场了非常会做作看了看了看了那个林黛玉哦就掉眼泪啊哭一阵然后说跟家母说哎呀他看看这个妹妹不是我看不是外甥女了是你的孙女了当然姐套
，呃，他说那个我也不知道什么干的湿的，啊。<笑>我一到任，我如果不先放下几十两银子啊，让你们做东道，那我不成成了大官员的反叛了吗？所以要从这个说呢，他那个机心又是很有趣的，是吧？又是一种那个善解人意的。但是呢，更多的时候呢，凤姐的机心呢，是一种很很可怕的。In chapter 46, when Jasher wants to take faithful Grandma Jar's head maid as his concubine, she protests strongly. Infuriated, Grandma Jar reprimands Lady Wang, but immediately feels embarrassed when Tan Chun makes her see that Lady Wang isn't at fault. So she blames Shi Feng. Why didn't you try to stop me? I've been trying to restrain myself from blaming you for what's happened, said Shi Feng. I don't know why you should pick on me. Grandma Jia's laughter was echoed by the others present. Oh, now this is interesting. I should like to know why you think I'm to blame for what has happened. You shouldn't be so good at training your girls, said Shi Feng. When you've brought up a beautiful young bulrush like Faithful, can you blame other people for wanting her? Oh, replied Grandma Jar laughing, so it's all my fault, is it? Of course it's your fault, says Shi Feng. In that case, I won't try to keep her, Grandma Jar replies. You can take her back with you. Not just now, responds Shi Feng. In my next life, perhaps, if I am a good girl in this life, I might be reborn as a man, and I can ask you for her then. Go on, take her with you, says Grandma Jia. You can give her to your Lian. See if that shameless father-in-law of yours still wants her then. Lian doesn't deserve her, said Shi Feng. All he's fit for is a couple of sad old dumplings like me and Patience. This sets everyone laughing. Experts believe that after finishing his teaching career at the right-wing school, Cao Shui-Chin went to live in the barracks in Western Hills, in suburban Beijing, around the year 1746, when he was around 30. During that time, apart from running errands for his superior, he lived a life of idleness. It was this pause in his career that gave him time to start writing A Dream of Red Mansions, or The Story of the Stone. It was said that Cao Shui-Chin, because of his Manchu identity, received a monthly ration of about 60 kilos of rice, along with four tails of silver, more than enough to satisfy his basic requirements. However, being a generous character who loved making friends as well as helping them financially, Cao Shui-Chin found that he could barely make ends meet. Dun Cheng, his student and friend, wrote a poem that summed up Cao Shui-Chin's lifestyle. Having porridge for meals while getting wine on credit. However, more recent studies reveal that Cao Shui-Chin's circumstances were not quite so straightened. The 
酒长奢，就是说，啊，他要经常的奢酒，他那个酒账他要奢钱。现在我没钱了，啊，我还不起你，但是我的信用这很好，下个月官了响了，我再还钱呢。什么叫，呃，举家十周呢？这个北京老北京人都知道，老北京人爱喝豆汁儿。特别是豆汁在就上油条吃，这是底层奇人的很好的早点。他们叫豆汁叫什么？就叫豆汁粥，这就是举家十粥的意思。老北京有个竹子词嘛，叫豆汁粥。他是怎么说的呢？糟粕居然可做粥，老将分味论稀稠，糟粕。就绿豆这个下脚料可以做粥啊，那稠的就吃的饱一点呗，稀的呢就吃的差一点了呗。乌分男女其来做，适口酸盐各一欧。哎，敦诚敦敏兄弟都是宗师贵胄啊，吃的当然这很好了。看到曹雪芹吃的是齐营生活底层人喝的豆汁粥，吃的豆汁饭。当然十分诧异啊，故有此行文呢、啊。In the story of the stone or the dream of red mansions, Zhao Shuiqin named the place where he worked on the book for ten years and rewrote it no less than five times, the Nostalgia Studio. It was later discovered that this humble study was in fact named Shelter from Wind. The wind referring not to the freezing winter air, but rather the corrupted trends of the time in which he lived. Wang Shifeng is, without a doubt, an embodiment of that decadent period as perceived by Cao Shuiqin. The Jars reside in two mansions, Rong and Ning, or West and East. Early in the story, when Ching Kuching, a young daughter-in-law of the Ning Mansion, dies, her household falls into a state of chaos. Jia Zhen, the headmaster of the Ning Mansion, wants Wang Shifeng to conduct Ching Kuching's funeral. According to the book, Shifeng, for her part, had always loved managing things and enjoyed showing off her ability to do so. Winning the approval by Lady Wang. Wang Shifeng accepts the responsibility. Then five major abuses come to her mind as being specially in need of attention. First, things were always getting lost in such a large and motley establishment. Second, lack of rational division of labor caused frequent escapes from responsibility. Third, money was always getting misappropriated or misspent. Fourth, the rewards and hardships were unfairly distributed. And fifth. Some well-connected servants were so arrogant and undisciplined that they brooked no restraint, while others could win no advancement. These were century-old problems, so Wang Shifeng is right on point, especially with respect to the house servant system. Many servants had been serving the family for three or four generations, greatly complicating the situation in terms of relationships and personal interests. No wonder she encounters problems setting up an efficient management system. So, for the following month, Wang Shifeng comes to the Ning Mansion early in the morning every day to make sure everyone's doing their job. 
One morning, an inspection of the roster shows that one woman responsible for the reception of relatives and friends of the family absent. Someone was sent to fetch her, and presently the woman arrived, flustered and fearful. So it is you, said Shifeng with a chilling smile. I suppose you thought that because you have a somewhat more ladylike job than the rest, you could afford to disobey my orders. I should have liked to let you off, but if I'm lenient with you the first time, it will be much harder for me to deal with someone else the second time. So I am obliged to make an example of you, her face hardened as she pronounced sentence. Take her out and give her 20 strokes of the bamboo. The wretched woman was half dragged from the room and the flogging administered. Then Shi Feng threw down one of the tallies, ordering to stop a month's pay from the woman's wage. From that day onwards, the staff of the Ning Mansion realized just how formidable Shi Feng could be and went about their duties in fear and trembling, not daring to idle or delay. This phoenix in a bad time came. All praised her great ability. Chin Ku Ching's funeral turns out to be an extravagant occasion. However, Wang Shifeng's success in managing the Ning Mansion is down to two factors. One, the support of Grandma Jia and Lady Wang, as well as Jia Zhen's promise of generous financial support. And two, the obedience of the servants. Both contribute to Wang Shifeng's dazzling triumph. Wang Shifeng, 当然不是什么善良的货色。但是这家如果离了王熙凤，就会更加混乱。呃，经济上也会更加混乱，秩序上也会更加混乱。On the night of Qin Keqing's burial, Wang Shifeng stays in the Water Moon Priory, where a nun named Yurgesia seizes the opportunity to ask her for a favor. Zhang, a wealthy man in Chang'an, has a daughter named Jinggu, who, as arranged by Zhang, was to marry the son of a captain in the Chang'an garrison, whom the girl loved. But then, Zhang changed his mind and wanted her daughter to marry the son of the governor instead. The captain's family refused to cancel the betrothal, so Zhang asked Yurigesia to talk to Wang Shifeng as an attempt to use the powerful Jia family to scare the captain away. Put on her mettle by Yurigesia's wiles, Wang Shifeng announces, You've known me a long time. You know that I've never believed all that talk about hell and damnation. If I decide that I want to do something, I do it no matter what it is. Tell them that if they are prepared to pay out 3,000 taels of silver, I will undertake to relieve them of their trouble. The prioress was delighted. They will, they will, no doubt about it. Mind you, said Shi Feng, I'm not one of your money-grubbing, run-of-the-mill go-betweens. I'm not doing this for the money. Every bit of this 3,000 taels will go into the pockets of my boys or towards their expenses. Then, having received the money, Wang Shifeng has a letter written in her husband's name to the captain's commanding officer, who helped sort things out in secrecy. Wang Shifeng, and in the 
他是一个很精致的一个人，很精道、很老道的一个人。还有这个王熙凤，没有什么同情心和恐惧心。嗯、呃，比如说那个贾瑞，想跟他对他调情，那么他对贾瑞很看不起，这个是可以的。他把贾瑞骂回去，也完全是可以的。但是，居然他设计了一个圈套，把这个贾瑞呀、啊、往死了整，是无论如何是，他显示出了一种恶狠狠的心理，甚至于显示了他本身的一种由于这个封建社会对女性的压抑，哎，所以他造成的一种。变态的心理，一种，呃，害男人的心理，所以他弄权呢，就是在这个寺庙道士里托他一件小事这小事跟他根本毫无关系，但是他说呢，我不能不办，我要不办，显得我这点手段还没有，所以就是说，他要显示出自己的手眼通天，嗯，他把这个行思舞弊。呃，变成了表演自己的嗯权势威风的一个机会，这当然也很让人看着很反感。Unexpectedly, Jin Ge and the captain's son, each loyal to the other, commit suicide because of the thwarted marriage. Cao Shuiqin, the literary giant. Fills the story of the stone or a dream of red mansions with subtle hints, foreshadowing later developments. According to Tu Ying, an expert on the book in the Qing Dynasty, Skybright is Dai Yu's shadow and Aroma Baochai's. The destiny of the young couple whose union Wang Shifeng ruins is in fact a premonition of the fate of Bao Yu and Dai Yu. Zhao Liaowen, a late Qing dynasty intellectual, once cited the following story: Her Shun, a powerful courtier favored by Emperor Chen Long, presented the story of the stone to the latter. When the emperor finished the book with pleasure, he said to Her Shun, "This is in fact the story of Mingju's family." He meant Nara Mingju, a minister of the late Emperor Kangxi. There's something to Chen Long's assessment. Nara Singde, Mingju's son, was a renowned poet in the Qing dynasty and a close friend of Cao Yin, Cao Shuiqin's grandfather. This young man of Manchu origin has often been regarded as the real-life model for the character Jia Baoyu. When he oversaw the compilation of the Serku Chuanshu, or complete library in the four branches of literature, Hershon, citing the emperor's order as an excuse, banned or destroyed a great many precious books from former dynasties. Why then did he make an exception for the story of the stone? The most obvious reason is that Cao Shuiqin's approach was extremely cryptic. 
It could also be, however, that he was simply overwhelmed by his exceptional work of art. Hershon was something of a literary talent himself, but he was more like Wang Shifeng in terms of his greed and general conduct in society. In 1775, Emperor Chen Lung, then 64 years old, went on another tour that autumn. Being in a good mood, the Emperor started a conversation with one of his bodyguards, asking about his age, name and experience. The young man was He Shun, then aged 26. Impressed by his good manners, the Emperor went on to ask about his official titles. Hershon answered that he had sat the provincial examination, but failed. Then, when the emperor asked if he still remembered anything from the exam paper, Hershon said yes, then recited the entire paper word by word. Chen Lung was pleasantly surprised, so he tested Hershon's capacity by sending him on several errands, which Hershon handled with perfection thereby earning the Emperor's full trust. Soon, Hershon was on a winning streak, winning promotion after promotion. Eventually, he would become Grand Minister of State and Prime Minister. Chalong 位置能够替贾母办很多事能够让他这个不必为日常生活的这个柴米油盐去费心就能够过上比较舒服的日子这可能是和神和王熙凤相似的这样一个地方In contemporary TV drama and literature, Hershon is often depicted as a jester, but in real life, his rise came about because of genuine perception and talent. As a teenager, Hershon studied in the school at the Palace of Universal Peace, which was established by the royal court inside the Forbidden City for educating the elites of the Eight Banners, Interestingly, Cao Shui-Chin himself was a student at the same school some 30 years before He Shun.
After he gained power, Hirshan's greed, too, grew out of control. Everyone in the government except for the emperor knew how corrupt he was. By the end of Emperor Chenlong's reign, bribery had become common practice. Hershon, a graduate of the Eight Banners Elite School, ended up digging the Qing Dynasty's grave. Thanks to his endless bribe-taking, it was his example that gave rise to the countless venal officials who drained the empire of its very lifeblood. Wang Shifeng's excessive greed, too, is known to everyone in the Jia household, except for heads of the house, such as Grandma Jia, Jia Zhang, and Lady Wang. In one instance, Aroma, Bao Yu's headmaid, asks Patience, Shifeng's chambermaid, what's happened to this month's allowances? Even her old ladyships and her ladyships people haven't had theirs yet. Don't ask me about that, please, Patience said in a low, agitated voice. Whatever it is, you'll only have another day or two to wait, I promise you. Aroma was amused to see her so agitated. Why? What's the matter? Why should you be in such a state about it? Patience dropped her voice even lower. Mrs. Lian has already put the money for this month's allowances out at interest. Aroma laughs. But she's not short of money. She's got plenty. What does she want to go giving herself all this extra worry for? When Wang Xifeng, his wish is constantly increasing. For example, his wish for money. He didn't take the money to f 所以王熙鳳不錯,他是一個當家人,他是一根頂梁柱,同時又是一隻大蛀蟲。And in European understanding and morality, this kind of character where you um, put your own uh, aims in front and uh, neglect um, the interests of um, the uh, family clan um, is uh, understood in a negative way. Mrs. Yo, stepmother of Lady Yo Shu of the Ning Mansion, has a daughter named Ajie, who's pretty and gentle. Incited by Jia Zhen and his son Jia Lian, who's a playboy, marries Ajie in secret during the time of state and family mourning, then keeps her in a house out in the city. When Wang Shifeng finds out what her husband did, she's furious, telling Patience, You heard that? You and I are both dead, Patience. We don't exist anymore. Then, after learning the whole story by interrogating a house servant, Shifeng grows angrier the more she thinks about it. She lays back with her head on the pillow and gives herself up wholly to her thoughts. Presently, she frowns, as if an idea has just occurred to her. 
，王熙凤的尴尬。他是一个霸王似的人物，呼风唤雨啊，长袖善舞，要风得风，要雨得雨。可是他有一个处境是不能说的，就是在古代封建社会家族里面，他没有儿子，所以这种尴尬的处境呢，可能会导致他日后的落寞或倒台。While Jialian is out on official business, Shi Feng comes to Ajie's place unexpectedly, and acting as an understanding wife, asks Ajie to move into the wrong mansion. Adopting a submissive tone, she says, "Provided that you put in an occasional good word for me with Mr. Lian, so that I am still left some ground to stand on." I should even be willing to hold your basin and comb your hair for you and wait on you like a servant. She concludes this discourse by breaking into ostentatious weeping. Ajie, fooled by her act, is convinced that she's a kind person and therefore agrees with pleasure to move into the mansion. After tricking Ajie into moving in, Wang Shifeng reveals her true identity as a shrew. She rushes into the Ning Mansion to curse at Youshu, Ajie's elder sister and Jia Jian's wife. Nobody else wanted that precious sister of yours, so you had to foist her onto our family. Anyone would think all the other men in the world had died, and only our Jia ones were left. She then tells her that Jiang Hua, who was engaged to Ajie, has filed a lawsuit against the Jia household, but that she's managed to neutralize the crisis by taking 500 taels of silver out of her own pocket. In fact, it was Wang Shifeng who encouraged Jiang Hua to make a scene, and she only spent 300 taels, so that while stirring up trouble in the house, she's even made a profit of 200 taels. Wang Shifeng manipulates everyone, including Ajie, Jialian, Youshu, Grandma Jia, and even the government. At first, a strong instinct of self-preservation prompts Zhang Hua to refuse, which angers Wang Shifeng so much that she disparages him as a young idiot. She gives an order to Brighty, a servant, tell him he can charge this family with high treason for all I care. Later, having deemed Zhang Hua useless. Wang Shifeng asks Brighty to kill both Zhang Hua and his father. Fortunately, Brighty is a soft-hearted person, so he lets father and son go. Wang Shifeng's this so-called "sharp phase," we say he has a soft-hearted person, right? You say like Zhang Hua, who is a disease-ridden person, he will finally kill him. 老实说，连甲乙村对门子都没有这么拒绝，所以我们说王熙凤的这个这个烂呢，就是这种地方是真是令人这个毛骨悚然的。Ajie, after moving into the mansion, is frequently bullied and humiliated by Jialian's maids and servants, while Wang Shifeng is all smiles and loving sympathy. On a visit to Ajie, Wang Shifeng says to her. If the servants are not giving you satisfaction, my dear, or are being insubordinate, do let me know, and I shall have them beaten. Then she speaks harshly to the maids and older women who are present. If I hear one word of complaint from Mrs. R, I shall have you slaughtered. Impressed by the concern that Wang Shifeng shows for her, Ajie thinks, with her to stick up for me, there is really no need for me to do anything myself. 
，首先呢，他要占据一个制高点，他把尤二姐请到大观园里面来，主动把她请进来，啊，这个目的呢，就是先要摘掉这个杜的帽子，是吧？就是你看，我不是荣部的人，是吧？不是荣部的尤二姐。其次呢，他要把尤二姐推到一个明教罪人的地位。啊，说你有尤二姐，你本来是有丈夫的，呃，悔婚再嫁，而贾琏呢是国孝家孝之中两重罪，是吧？自己呢先占了一个制高点，然后把对方推到一个明教罪人的地位，然后刘那个王熙凤使出了手段，她唆使张华去告，但是她又不使她告倒，是吧？就是她用衙门的法，是吧？再用家族的礼。在造足了舆论，是吧？在放出秋桐，把这一切都布置好了之后，就使得尤二姐陷入了一张罗网当中。Patience out of sympathy for Ajie often brings her food. When Wang Shifeng finds out, she abuses patience angrily. Most people keep a cat to keep down the mice for them. My cat seems to eat the chickens. Later, when Arjia loses her baby, when an unqualified doctor gives her an abortion, she has no more reason to live, and commits suicide by swallowing gold. She's ruthless. I mean, she's in a way more dangerous than Pan Jinlian, you know, because she actually is more subtle. Pan Jinlian is just physical; she's just sexual. Wang Xilian, Wang Xifeng is、um, psychological. You know, she plot her plot to destroy Jia Rui is just diabolical. You know, she's a very dangerous woman. And of course, later on, she destroys, you know, Yao Erjie, and that's also a terrible story. Even after Erjie killed herself. Wang Shifeng's act wasn't over. Long afterwards, she said to Jialian, "The day after tomorrow is the anniversary of Arjia's death. Since we were sisters for a little while, I thought the least I could do was visit her grave and make her a few offerings." Jialian, put to shame by her words, says after a lengthy pause, "You are very thoughtful." Finally, in Chapter 105, when the Jia family is raided by the imperial bodyguards for having connived with a provincial official and has used his influence to persecute a defenseless citizen, Wang Shifeng's life savings, no less than 80,000 taels of silver, which she gained from loaning money along with promissory notes, is discovered. Wang Shifeng, as described in the book. Listened wide-eyed as patients told her tale, and then slumped onto the floor with her head thrown back. Despite having a powerful friend in court, the Prince of Beijing, no less, the Jar household is unable to clean its name of the shame of usury. This ultimately ends up being the straw that breaks the back of four powerful families, the Jars included. This ultimate destiny is indicated at the beginning of the book. 
Each day they grumble they've not made enough. When they've enough, it's good night, everyone. Uh, 那么王熙凤的图画是一个冰山上边站到一个凤凰这个凤凰呢那么它象征的意义是什么呢冰山倒下来了凤凰就没有落脚的地方了所以它的结局是一个悲剧的结局随着冰山的永化也就是说当宁国府永国府贾贾败落的时候你会比别人更长王熙凤是整本小说里面写的最好的一个人物我讲的写的好不是说他可爱啊不是说他这个这个是好人我讲的小说的技巧拖拖拖的是一个次数的人物贾府
Three years later, Chen Lung died. Right away, Emperor Jia Qing moved to arrest her son, charging him with 20 felonies. The most serious one being that one day before the official announcement of Yong Yen being named Crown Prince, her son had offered him a Ruyi scepter to show his personal loyalty. This was an obvious and flagrant breach of confidence. Hershan's fate parallels a line from a song in the book that criticizes Wang Shifeng. Too shrewd by half, with such finesse you wrought, that your own life in your own toils was caught. Whether in the reign of Emperor Kangxi or Chen Lung or Jia Qing, from Naru Mingju to Hershen, powerful officials and their rise and fall, often because of corruption, cast a deep shadow over those times. Cao Shui Qin believed that the great Qing dynasty, with all its glories, was a ship sailing towards an abyss. The only question was, who had steered it in the wrong direction? Undoubtedly, it was the likes of her son. Hershen was executed in 1799 AD, just before he turned 49. Even though the 19th century had only just dawned on this ancient oriental empire, the age of flourishing that had characterized the early Qing dynasty was already over. Perspicaciously, it was Cao Shui-Chin with his mighty pen who had written its obituary. Tacitly and subtly, he had pinpointed the malaise that would bring the dynasty to its end. And he had good reason to be subtle. During Emperor Chen Lung's reign, the infamous literary inquisition reached its peak. Back in those days, writing the wrong word could cost you your life. That's why Cao Shui-Chin became a master of dancing in shackles. On the one hand, he brilliantly recreated a corrupted time in dazzling disguise. On the other hand, he deliberately made the story of the stone a riddle. All it lacked was the authentication of a dynasty and date. On the surface, it was just the rustic words from the land of illusions. He was successful. The book, a work of pure rebellion, managed to survive the censorship of Emperor Chen Lung and his courtier, He Shun. The 
以贾宝玉、林黛玉、薛宝钗等等年轻人为代表的一群青年男女的人生悲剧、爱情悲剧、家庭悲剧、婚姻悲剧。而他通过一个贵族家庭的描衰落的描写，通过在贵族家庭衰落过程当中一些年轻的悲剧，深刻的表达了作者对人生、对社会一些思考。他告诉你，贵族家庭为什么会衰落了？为什么是，呃，不配享有更好的命运？他告诉你，这么漂亮的小伙子，这么美的姑娘，这么有才华的姑娘，他们为什么最后都走上悲剧？那么都是因为社会，都是那个时代造成的。In the Guizhou Provincial Museum in Guiyang City. One of the most precious items is a compendium of artworks titled "Drawings by the Celery Farmer." Over the course of the 25 years since its discovery, more and more researchers have tended to view that the author was none other than Cao Shuijin. That means that the author of "A Dream of Red Mansions" or "The Story of the Stone" penned another masterpiece. Contrary to the expectations of many, the drawings weren't of elegant and beautiful young people, but rather of apparently insignificant things such as yams, radishes, aubergines, watermelons, as well as withered lotuses, crab apples, stones, lingji, or reishi mushrooms. In other words, all the things that Cao Shuijin saw during his daily life in the Western Hills in Beijing. 有一首诗呢，后面前头，哈、啊，这个这个银手的地方呢，盖了一个印。我们一看，以前没有变出来，哈、啊，叫做“忆袭欠纱窗”，忆就是回忆，袭就是过去，欠纱窗呢，就是小说里面常常提到的一个东西。所以我们有机会看到这个文坛巨人，除了《红楼梦》小说之外呢，另外一个诗书画印。Besides being a brilliant poet, Cao Shuijin was a painter too. After turning middle-aged, he developed the habit of calling himself "celery gatherer" or "celery farmer," a nickname for intellectuals used in ancient Chinese classics. Meanwhile, gathering and farming celery was indeed part of his daily life, just like Tao Qian. Whom he admired and mentioned on several occasions in the novel. Writing and working in the Western Hills, Cao Shuijin occasionally refers to himself in the book. For example, when Jia Zheng asks Bao Yu to compose a couplet for the Sweet Rice Village in the Prospect Garden, the latter blurts out without thinking, "Emergent buds swell where the washerwoman soaks her cloth." A fresh tang rises where the celery gatherer fills his paneer. It's just possible to imagine a knowing smile creeping across Cao Shuijin's face when he wrote these lines. Thank、you.
Quick, be done.